Again, greetings and Merry Christmas, friends. And um, I'm Silas, one of the pastors here. And it is a joy to be with you as we celebrate Christmas. Whether this is your home church, whether you have been here uh, for the first time tonight, or whether it's the first time back in a while, we are glad that you are here. And so we welcome you and... um, yeah, we, we are just joyful for this moment worshiping. When I was in elementary school, we used to do this thing where we would have the Christmas concert, the annual Christmas concert. And during this thing, you know, you practice for weeks, you celebrate, and you prepare for this moment where you get to sing um, and, and celebrate with your family in front of your parents. And so we used to do this as a class, get assigned different carols for us. And as we were going, I remember I was in fourth or fifth grade, um, and in this season, we, we had this carol that got given to us, assigned to our class, that was really one of, I think, the most malleable um, Christmas carols out there. Jingle Bells is that carol. And it really is a tune like no other, mainly because of the way that it has so many variations um, given to itself. So we know, obviously, the, the lyrics, jingle bells, jingle bells. Uh, no, that's not it. That is the chorus. Dashing through the snow, though. Uh, that's the, I'm, thank you, Alicia. On a one-horse open sleigh is, is right. What I'm doing is actually embodying what happened to me. So <laughs> what we did me and a bunch of friends, we're in fourth grade Christmas concert, weeks of practice, and we're thinking, this is a great song, because we can obviously sing the tricky versions, like dashing through the snow on a pair of broken skis, right? Over the hills we go, bashing into trees. Like, we used to sing this one together, and we would think, we're so cool. We're rebels. We got an edge to ourselves." So we practiced for months, or for a month about doing this. It's finally time to sing. And me and all my friends, we all botched the lyrics. Like, we all blank on the lyrics. And our parents are there. We end up walking on, singing, faking our way through it, and then getting off. And in some ways, like, that's a harmless fifth grade, fourth grade carol. Uh, it doesn't really make all the difference. It probably, in that setting, adds to the, the cuteness factor when kids forget the lyrics. But here's the thing, like, when it came to the day to actually do the performance, we couldn't parse out what was the projection and what was real. We had spent so much time practicing the wrong lyrics for a variety of reasons. Uh, probably to be funny, probably because we needed love and attention, <laughs> something. But in some way, we, we did the wrong lyrics. And then when it came to actually share the actual song, we lost it. We missed it. Our mashup reduced the original and made it impossible for us to appreciate what the real version was actually saying. Friends, it may be that in church, we have done the same thing with the gospel stories around Christmas, especially when it comes to mashups of stories during Christmas time. So over the last four weeks, we have been exploring the story of Christ 
And specifically, we've been exploring the story through the genealogy of Christ through the book of Matthew. There's four Gospels in the New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've been looking specifically at Matthew and tried to stay within that book. So what is the author of Matthew framing for us uniquely? What's he saying to us directly in his words? We haven't tried to put all of the books together and say, what's the chronology? We've said, as a piece of work that's inviting us to meet God, how is this book from Matthew speaking to us? Here we do hold that all scripture does speak to us, but we also want to be sensitive to how each book is uniquely designed to shape our imagination. And so our passage for this Christmas night evening is from Matthew 1, verse 16 through 17. Take a look at it here. This is hopping in into uh, the genealogy right at the end. So there's already been a lot said, but here's how it goes. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations, all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and then 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Matthew's genealogy is different than the genealogies we see in the Gospel of Luke, in the other places in Scripture. And that's by design. They're writing with different ends in mind. Matthew's genealogy, it plays with tradition. That's kind of what we've looked at over the last four weeks. So what we've done in the last four weeks is explore this genealogy and how people that typically aren't included in this kind of writing are included in the work of Matthew. Matthew, he plays with tradition. He incorporates outsiders into the, the genealogy. It, he does things that are unexpected. Matthew, he skips generations of people. He skips, skips six kings. And instead, he highlights stories of women who challenge us and inspire us. The inclusion of women in the genealogy is unique. It's something to focus on. And so we've done just that over the last couple weeks. We've looked through the story of Tamar and Rahab and Ruth, Bathsheba last week, and today we just read about Mary, the last woman included in this genealogy. This is another way to talk about the family tree. The family tree through the women in Jesus' life. The first chapter of Matthew is a ground-shaking work that presses back on our religious thought and conviction. And all of this is scandalous, especially in a time when this was written, because ultimately, with all the things that we could do a deep dive on, here is the takeaway for us to glean from this passage, from the whole book of Matthew. That's this. Don't miss this. The family tree of Christ reminds us that we're invited to be a part of God's kingdom. The family tree of Christ reminds us that we are all invited to be a part of Christ's kingdom. The family tree of God reminds us that no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, what has been done to you, what you've believed in the past, what masks you have put on and taken off, Christ invites us to be a part of God's kingdom. And I'm saying kingdom, K-I-N-D-O-M, because the kingdom of God, it emphasizes our kinship with one another. 
our kinship with all creation. That's what roots the relationship itself. It roots it in God and to God, and it roots it to the recognition of kinship. This is the kind of community that God is inviting us into, that Christ is inviting us into. Christianity at its best never forgets this fact, that we are being invited into a broader story, a story that reshapes how we hold relationship with each other. This, this Christianity is divine invitation. It's an invitation that recognizes kinship to everyone who has been created in the image of God. It's striking that in the first chapter of Matthew, Mary doesn't say a word. Have you thought about that? We think about Mary being such a pivotal figure in the Christmas story. In the book of Matthew, Mary doesn't say a word. Not a word. For someone so central to the Christmas story, make no mistake, Matthew's withholding of details, particularly around Mary, it has intent and it has purpose. This isn't like the telling in Luke where it describes Mary's feelings, her action, her response, her words. In Matthew, we don't get any of this. The only thing we get in the book of Matthew about Mary in this chapter is Joseph was the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called the Messiah. That's it. It's also striking that in Luke, the genealogy, it, it comes three chapters into the book. In Matthew, it's the first thing we read. So in the New Testament, the first thing we read is this list of names. The very first thing we read. Do you know why this is important? It's important because in its matter-of-fact inclusion of so many people within Christ's family, the lack of detail uh, and its concise ambiguity, it forces us to engage every one of these characters with a curiosity, with an empathy, with a level of compassion that makes us get to know them. As we dive into the stories of each name on this long list, we get to know them better. Don't let this be lost in you. The New Testament starts with a family tree, a list of names, and it doesn't do any work to explain who any of these people are. All it does is say that from the beginning to the end, this is the line of Christ. This is Christ. All these people, this is Christ. It then leaves us as readers with the task of diving in, discovering who these people are, which in turn trains us to engage the world around us with the same kind of curiosity and the same kind of care and the same kind of empathy by intention, Matthew is trying to form us to recognize how Jesus is not an idea that can be removed from people. Jesus is not a theoretical object. Jesus is not a political talking point. Jesus is not a weapon to be wielded. Jesus is not a tool to serve oppression. Jesus is a divine invitation to the relationship with God. And by design, we encounter Jesus through our encounters with others. And so when Christianity is understood to be a divine invitation, it cultivates curiosity to learn people's stories. 
When Christianity is understood to be a divine invitation, it exhorts us to take the time, take the effort to know our neighbors, to feel what they feel, to encounter them well. When Christianity is understood as a divine invitation, as it's meant to be, it challenges our instincts to theorize our faith, to think about it in a way that dehumanizes others in the process. Friends, this is what I want to leave you with tonight. As we roll into 2023, we won't be meeting tomorrow, just so we know. Some of you are already aware, but we're not meeting tomorrow. Rolling into 2023, this is the Christmas message. May it serve as a launching pad for where we're going in the year to come. If Christianity is a divine invitation, how might we recognize this invitation? How might we revere it? And how might we respond to it? How might we recognize the invitation of God in the lives around us? How might we revere it? And how might that cause us to respond? The gift of Christmas is that it sets the tone for us as we go into a new year. And if we live out this faith well, if we do it well, our presence becomes a gift that keeps on giving through, us, through the rest of the year. So all year round, if we live the divinely invitational life, we actually become the gift of Christmas time. And if we live out this faith well, our presence it becomes a gift that transforms the world. Friends, don't settle for projections of faith this Christmas season or the year to come. This Christmas, may we all discover and embody authentic faith that invites the cosmos to God. In a moment, we're going to light these candles. And the way that we will light them, we're going to light them in a way that starts here and it will slowly start spreading around the room. It will move and it will, uh, it will shape the way that we engage each other. And as we pass from one to the other, as we pass the light to one to another, what we're doing is symbolically embodying the passing on of the light of Christ, the light of God. You might be passing on to someone you know really well. You might be passing on to someone who you don't know even their name. The beauty of this faith that we practice is that it will put us in those situations. And it says, can you share my light? Can you recognize the invitation? Can you revere it? Can you respond to it? This little act here helps us to do that better. So I want to invite the band up. As they come up, receive this prayer, friends, for this Christmas season. And then we'll, um, we'll kill the lights uh, in a second. Receive this prayer, friends. God, we are grateful for the gift of this day. We are grateful for this season. We pray that in this moment and in the year to come, you would remind us of how we might embody you well. Show us our blind spots, which is a scary prayer to pray. But we pray that with a sincere heart. Show us how we might love more. And give us courage and strength and faith to follow you in all the ways that you shape our lives. May our lives be a gift in the world around us. 
Lord, we pray this with Christ by the power of the Spirit. And everyone said, amen.